0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the fifth episode of this season of The Peripheral. I believe it's only going to be one season, but I guess that remains to be seen. An episode called What About Bob, directed by Canadian filmmaker Vincent Natalie. again. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. A pretty well-known genre director, and has directed, I believe is going to have directed half of these episodes, if not more, by the time we get to the end who recently directed a pretty good episode of the Cabinet of Curiosities anthology series on Netflix, which I also reviewed here in this podcast feed. So check that out if you're curious. What about Bob? This title? A Forgotten Bill Murray Comedy? Qu- question mark comedy? <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, it's about Bill Murray being a psychiatric patient and stalking his therapist. And basically no one can see what a threat this guy is except for his therapist, played by Richard Dreyfus. What does that have to do with this show? absolutely nothing. (laughs) I think it's just a pun because our new character we're going to meet this week, a pretty efficient killing machine called Bob. Also in this episode, we will be discussing and or catching up on that excellent season of the Star Wars show. No really heavy spoilers in there, but general plot outlines for what happens over the course of these first 10 episodes, I guess we're at now. So you may want to catch up on that show before digging into the spoilers. And there is a spoiler break I'll warn you when we get to the spoiler conversation. But in general, it's really an exceptional show. And I say that as someone who's been really put off by the recent Star Wars output. So do check it out. Do catch up with it and listen to our conversation when you have, or even before if you want to listen to some of it. Once again, we don't really spoil specific plot details, but we do talk in general what happens in the show. But there is a warning there for spoilers. The usual calls to action subscribe if you'd like to keep following us and get notifications when new episodes become available. We continue to cover The White Lotus in the same feed. We will be covering the finale of Andor in a couple of weeks. Of course, the finale of Peripheral and Week to Week on The Peripheral for the next three episodes, three more episodes of this season. And the next shows we'll be covering after White Lotus and The Peripheral. One of them is definitely The Last of Us, the new HBO adaptation coming in January. But there are many movies around the holiday seasons, end of year reviews that I'll be putting together as well, all before that premiere in January. So stay tuned, and I'm still researching shows to cover week to week until we get there. If you'd like to support the show, make sure you recommend this to any friends and family, post us on your social media, email us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com with any feedback, and give us a review or a rating on your podcatcher of choice, preferably a good one. (laughs) With that out of the way, let's get into this episode of The Peripheral. What about Bob? We call it the Godfont. I can access anything here. And not just from the stub either, but from the RI in its entirety. But our data, calls that's just a grain of sand on a larger beach. We're actively altering conditions in the stub. We have over 8,000 studies running. Researching what? It'd be difficult to name a field without a foothold.
1: Botany, meteorology,
0: zoology, genetics, oceanography, robotics, forestry. But the truly exciting stuff, The hush-hush saving the world shit, that comes from our behavioral mod department. They set up a shell company in the stub, which bid on a contract with the American military to install haptic implants in personnel, our tech. More or less, but on an appropriately primitive level. To what end? Watch, this one's fun. Okay, so we start now, 2099, we're one month earlier in the timeline, before Alita's disappearance, and we see the meeting between Alita and Grace. Grace, who was killed by bees in last week's episode by Newland, They were a couple, had a difficult breakup. And there's some interesting dynamics early on here. It does make me wonder how sincere Alita is with her manipulation of Grace. I mean, repeatedly here, we see explicit references to Alita's need to manipulate or her ability to manipulate, but she does sincerely seem to have been hurt by her breakup with Grace. Grace also was disturbed by this breakup and has gone to see an AIT, an artificial intelligence therapist. Interesting to see what jobs get replaced by the AI in the future. We've seen police officers, a bartender here, and your therapist as well. <laughs> I don't know if that's a dig at therapy. <laughs> Which made me think of something that happened back in 1964 at MIT. An engineer created a chatbot, and I believe he called it Eliza. And what it basically basically did, it was a very small amount of code that would mirror back to the interviewer simple questions like, tell me more about that. That's interesting. And just use people's responses to mirror back at them, basically what they consider, what they call reflective listening. And what was so funny about it was that this coder made this available to his secretary and to other coworkers and other engineers. And even though everybody knew this thing was just mirroring back what they were saying and just doing this very simple code of reflective listening. I think it was just hundreds of lines of code, honestly. This was not advanced AI. He found that people kept going back and even knowing transparently what was happening behind the scenes, they were impelled, compelled to keep these therapy chat sessions going with this little simple piece of code. This is called the Eliza effect, by the way, that just simply mirroring back behaviorally or in conversation to someone actually will create the impression of empathy. So I wonder, by the way, if this is something that is being hinted at here if that's the underlying joke with having this AIT, this AI therapist. But is there more of that going on here than we think? I mention that specifically because we see Alita manipulating Grace by first coming on very strong when she runs into her in that lobby, but then eventually pivoting to, I was really hurt by the breakup, which may all be true, but is this still also part of Alita's manipulation? Speaking of Alita's manipulation, we see Grace still asking her about that hobby she has of creating these models, these dioramas. Alita explains that when she can have the control of having these little models, it not only makes her feel like she has more control over the real world, but also she believes that by manipulating someone's actions, she can actually understand their mind better. And she illustrates this, by the way, by literally posing Grace. Once again, another interesting topic the show is raising here the theory of behaviorism as a theory of mind. So some branches of behaviorism, there's multiple, but just as some context here, there's a traditional thought that you manipulate someone's mind by basically winning over their hearts and minds. You tell them a story, you win over their emotions, their conscious mind, and in so doing, you change their mind to change their behaviors. But with behaviorism, the belief is that, by or by radical behaviorism at least, The belief is by changing your behavior, you change the mind. So you can actually modify someone's thoughts by controlling their actions. And that one, unlike some of these other ideas in the show, I believe this is something that's being explored here because you think about how Alita is playing that giant chess game in her current timeline, in future timelines, in past timelines. And in raising this topic, are we seeing how Alita is manipulating these folks? And it makes me wonder just how many pawns does she have on the board at any given time? And just how big is this chessboard when everything is revealed by the end of the show? Let's stick a pin in that for now. This night of drinking and reminiscing has one over Rose, and she takes Alita down to see the God font. This is the upside down pyramid. And we we have a lot of uh, exposition here. And I like this, by the way. This is still the cold open, by the way. We haven't even gotten to the credits yet. And uh, this is just all my cards on the table here. This is my favorite of these episodes we've seen so far. And part of it is because we're seeing answers or we're getting answers. So we've had that question from the very first episode. What is this device? What is this program that has been downloaded? I'm pretty certain at this point, pretty certain, it's been downloaded into Flynn, as I speculated from the start, but becomes more and more concrete, I think, episode to episode. And what is RI actually doing? And we find out here, Grace is telling us that RI, the Research Institute, is manipulating pasts in these stubs and has thousands, apparently, thousands of experiments going in all these different stubs in every conceivable way. They're looking at behavioral patterns. They're looking at modifying biology, zoology, botany, they mention. And I assume all of this is for the purposes of trying to av- avoid the jackpot from happening, which is this cataclysm of all these different terrible things converging. And maybe these different experiments give them the ability of manipulating the past to maybe. Create a better future. That seems to be what they're hoping for, anyway. Or perhaps preventing the jackpot. So that's what's interesting about this. These villains, Nuland, is in every possible way presented as a villain here. But if she is literally trying to prevent the jackpot from happening, isn't that overall for the good? Grace mentions there's so many things we could do in the stub. For example, we could create a shell company and then create technologies, modern technologies in the past, just dumb them down so they're practical enough in their current world to not seem completely outside the norm and start running experiments where we can modify the behaviors of, for example, soldiers. We can put implants into them and use those implants to just nudge them, just nudge their behavior one way or another. And the example they give here and they illustrate visually is telling soldiers that injured animals are being used as booby traps, but then nudging them just a little bit, preying on their memories and feelings of youth, their affinity for a pet, for example, to see if they will still not follow orders, do the practical thing, and kill these injured animals. And what's interesting is that people have different reactions. Some continue to be rational. Some react emotionally. And we see this illustrated with one soldier running to help this injured German shepherd and getting blown up. Is this Connor, by the way? Because all of this, you know, the implants in the soldiers, the shell company in the past that's funding some of these projects, all sounds very familiar to anyone who's watching this show. You know, it's kind of obscured. We're seeing it with this kind of fuzzy... Visualization, but I do wonder if that soldier who got blown up was Connor. That would be pretty interesting to tie things together here. Alita is upset by this, by the way. She's saying these are real people. We can't only consider people in our current timeline who are real. And this is, once again, a very interesting idea that maybe is not being fully developed, but still is being raised here. You can imagine if you actually had this technology that the people who are in your current timeline, the reality that you live in, are real people. But you could very easily look into these other alternate pasts and create these stubs, and think, well, those people aren't real because they're not in my reality. Alita is making the point that even when they're not in your current reality, they still are real people. They would have had full lives in that stub. So if you wipe them out there, you're ending somebody's life, regardless of whether it's someone that would ever exist in your timeline or not. And of course, it raises the question that if you're willing to do that, it's a small jump once you go from killing these people who are real people, but they're in another timeline. They're just alternate people. And then how? Callous, do you become where you start saying, Well, it's just another, if I was willing to kill those people, maybe I'm willing to kill these people too. So it's a slippery slope. And I think that's part of what's being raised here. And when you think about this, Alita taking offense to this callousness, it goes back to the conversation they had in the bar where Grace was talking about what she discovered in her therapy sessions was that it turns out she was the good girl on the outside, behaviorally. Once again, talking about behavioralism. But on the inside, she was a bad girl. Meanwhile, Alita tough on the outside, a bad girl on the outside, for all extent and purposes, presents herself as a tough girl. And maybe that life on the street hardened her, her orphan years during the jackpot, but nice on the inside. And we see her, we see that empathy come out when she's seeing these people and these stubs being killed. And you see how cold Grace is, and you see how compassionate Alita is in that regard. So I got to put another pin in this, by the way, because I do hope that show gets around to it as a matter of fact it calls it out right at the end of this particular episode we'll get around to it again but i'm very confused as to how these stubs work because as i mentioned all the way back in episode the recap of episode one and two we have two basic theories of time travel you have the closed loop so think of terminator one meaning that meaning that john carner in the future will send reese back into the past to impregnate his mom and that this is the story he heard his whole entire life, and it will happen because it already did happen. It's a closed loop. There's no way out of it. Anything that's happened in the future will happen in the past and vice versa. You can't go and change anything that's happened because it has already happened. Option two is the multiverse. It's the Avengers theory of reality or Terminator 2, or if you wanna stay in the Terminator franchise. And that idea is that you can go in the past and change the future. That by basically going back and making a different decision, you have now created a branch a branch in reality that goes in a different direction. So theoretically, anytime someone makes one decision versus another, you could have two different outcomes. It's the sliding doors version of reality. Okay, so it seems to be, we have multiple stubs, multiple pa- possible pasts, but I'm not sure how this works in this particular show because theoretically, you would go into these stubs, you'd have all these different possible outcomes. Even one small change could potentially potentially change the future to the extent where... There is no jackpot. So if you are manipulating pasts to save your own version of your thread of the future, you are literally committing multiple genocides in the past because probably, you know, I would assume 75, 90% of those infinite possible uh, pasts do not contain a jackpot. So to prevent your jackpot, you're creating these massive losses in the past. Now that may be true. Maybe that's the biggest sin that's occurring here. The other possibility is that somehow there's a convergence, like no matter what outcomes happen in the past, no matter what decisions are made there, they are all going to end up in the jackpot, which kind of resets everything. That seems unlikely too, because I mean, if we are to believe this is even possible, that does not seem that that's how these things would work. And by the way, once you change the past and you create another stub, right? As soon as you tell Flynn, do the following, and then your mom won't die or you won't die. In the original newspaper you had in your timeline, Flynn died, but now she's not dead anymore because she's made this change. So now how do you track that stub into this alternate past? Because now that past doesn't, it didn't exist before. So now how do you find it right now? If you theoretically think she makes a different choice and now she's created five new branches just to keep things small, how do you know which branch to speak to or any of the five, right? Do you pick one and say, well, which one has the best outcome, right? That's actually how game theory works. But how does it work when you have an actual person you need to communicate with? Which version, in other words, of Flynn is coming back into this body? Or (laughs) here's the other crazy part about it. What if Flynn doesn't realize this, but there are five, six, seven, eight different versions of her from all these different realities popping into that peripheral multiple times and they are manipulating multiple pathways for her. This makes my head spin to think about it. But maybe that is the reveal that's coming in the end. It might be too much to even layout in the next three episodes, but it does make me think, and hey, that's why I watch these type of shows. All right, that all happens in the cold open, (laughs) and I think it's going to be most of my discussion because once we get into 2032 timeline, a lot of stuff happens, but it's pretty straightforward compared to these really highfalutin ideas that get introduced in this future. So after the credits, we are in 2032. We're in Key West. We meet Bob. What about Bob? He gets a box in the mail. It is one of those percussion guns which has been manufactured in the past, and sent to him. There's a recording, and then I think his phone rings afterwards. They know who he is, and they want to hire him. $2.5 million up front, $10 million total, to kill Flynn. I mean, this, honestly, believe it or not, is maybe the craziest fact in this show. The fact they need to activate this Bob character and do all these things. Is it possible it's this hard to kill her? Couldn't somebody walk in... While she's getting the MRI and she's inside that container and just inject her with some toxin, couldn't one of those invisible cars just roll up on the compound in the middle of the night? It just seems so convoluted that it's so hard to kill these people. I mean, they probably are on high alert right now and they did throw the cavalry at them at first. But like I said, if you don't work with guns ablazing, then go into stealth mode, people. So like I said, they have all the crazy sci-fi in this, you know, crazy concepts that are being introduced here. The most unbelievable is maybe that how hard it is to kill these two. Unless, by the way, unless, and I'm open to this possibility, they don't really want to kill him. This is all part of this manipulation from the future, but remains to be seen. By the way, just want to be clear about the fact that the offer for the $10 million is coming through Newland. just in case you thought that maybe elite is doing this manipulation because it's Robo David on the call with him, who works for Newland, of course. They know everything about him he's bob the butcher he's a former ira fighter he's apparently disappeared so well by the way they can't track him in the future once again i mean he must have been I trust that this is true but that he was so hard to find he was so good at hiding that even tracking him through time they had to call in an asset to help him track him down bob to his credit wants to leave his past behind him does not want to unretire himself does not want to come out of retirement but they threaten his daughter they know about his daughter as well and that's what mobilizes him finally flynn's getting scanned And during the scan, she has a PTSD visions of the jackpot, this horrible future that's not that far ahead of them. And of course, if you knew that everything on earth was going to die soon, or the vast majority of it, that would be pretty disturbing to you, considering it's not even like 100 years away. It's a decade away or so. Meanwhile, we see a little bit of how effective Bob is. He goes to visit his friend Frank at the bowling alley. And when his sons, who are also there, happen to notice that Bob is hanging out with their dad, they decide to come and intervene. His dad tries to break it up because he knows how dangerous Bob could be. But they decide to escalate things. Bob exterminates the entire DeRosa family and the bartender. By the way, the bartender is a terrible shot. This is why you need AI bartenders in the future. Bob has one more really grisly confrontations with one of the sons in the parking lot. And Daniel provides him with a piece of information. This is where his targets will be tomorrow. Flynn is getting a spinal tap and Burton will be with her. This is where she'll be. This is their path home. The rest is up to you bob we see billy ann with jasper she asks him where did he get his money he says it was just a thank you there's no strings attached she believes him and he does feel guilty about it so maybe he won't turn out to be a rat in the end but remains to be seen Dee, Dee tells flynn during her spinal tap that she has some kind of bacteria that's accumulated behind her eye once again i think that this infection actually contains some code this thing that newland wants back from her is manifesting itself as this localized infection in her eye and by the way in real life there are actual biological computers you can actually use dna strands to make calculations so i assume this is what we're going to see in the future that there is some kind of program encoded in that bacteria i mean bacterias are basically programmed that's how they reproduce that's how they invade people's bodies there is simple programming inside of there maybe they have some very complex way of encoding biologically in the future and they were able to transmit that into her body via the headset. Dee Dee sends the specimen out for analysis, and we will see if she can identify what this bacteria is. I'm sure there'll be more information about it next week's episode. We see Bob has stationed himself on the bridge, leading back into town because he knows that that's how they're going to have to cross. One place of funneling them before they get back to their compound where they're probably more well-stocked and armed. And he calls his daughter on the phone and gives us encoded insurance agent spiel which i guess is their code for communicating in case her phone is tapped or his and unintentionally i hate to say this but unintentionally this conversation is pretty hilarious i mean it's supposed to be emotional i think but it's just so awkward to try to say goodbye via this phrasing of a canceling an insurance policy i mean they should have come up with some other alternative here (laughs) i'm sorry it just didn't work for me billy ann rolls up and she's like i can help you with your car He's stationed there pretending that his car is broken down. Bob is annoyed. She's getting in the way. And she's annoyed too. She's like, do you think a girl can't fix your car? Or maybe she just thinks there's something weird going on here. But I have a feeling it's just her pride. And then we have this whole pretty good action sequence here on the bridge. Flynn and Burton roll up. And of course, things go all ass up. Bob is wearing a bulletproof vest. You guys have to go for the head, everybody. Go for the head. But they actually have a chance for the kill shot. And Tommy correctly susses out later on when he shows up for the investigation. Flynn's trying to tell him that everything's on the up and up. They don't know what's going on. And Tommy kind of accurately susses out, did you prevent him from dying because you really were just like, well, we don't want to kill somebody. We don't know what this guy wants. Or were you just trying to prevent a homicide that would alert Homeland Security or some larger investigating organization? But Tommy has got to be extremely, extremely questioning about this at this point. So think about this. He's seen burton shake hands with Corbell on that patio any innocent bystander there may have noticed the gunshot and threat that occurred so i'm sure people are rumoring about that they're paying off the local crime boss probably something that is once again a local rumor where's this money coming from they just bought this business in town now there's a random assassination attempt on this bridge there are drones flying over their property continuously and all his friends instead of just showing up for a gaming session or something are all living there now the mom can see again i don't know if that's leaked out into the broader public probably not but still and isn't there another detective missing here that got run down by these invisible cars and of course the invisible cars they found invisible cars just a couple of days ago tommy should have escalated this to like the fbi before now and he's lucky that it doesn't get him killed by the way all this is to say that and flynn actually brings this up in the car they need a way better cover story than this the idea that just weird shit is going to keep happening They now have this weapon potentially if they test this weapon out they're going to be like what is this another futuristic technology what is happening obviously this is sci-fi crap it could potentially mean minimally that there is a huge amount of money being expended on killing these people off and like i mentioned a broader investigation if you bring in the fbi they could probably find these ads on the dark web basically targeting these specific folks for extermination millions and millions of dollars being spent on it so tommy If not before now, you absolutely need to call the authorities. You can't handle this on your own. And as a matter of fact, on the ride back to the station, he gets made yet another offer, $2 million. It's all yours. So now he should be completely aware that there are incredibly powerful forces in motion to kill off Flynn and Burton. And as if he needed any additional indication of that, he gets run off the road by yet another invisible tank, basically. This thing apparently doesn't have any airbags. And someone with distinctive snakeskin boots, I'm sure we'll see those again, grabs Bob into his invisible car and makes a run for it. So Tommy, the very next thing you should do as soon as you get to the police station is to contact the authorities and say, there's a lot of really weird stuff going on because if you really want to protect Flynn and Burton, regardless of what they're telling you, this thing has to get escalated. The only thing that may hold them back is that when he does confront Flynn with this, and they talk all the way about how when she was in third grade, always that deep down inside a do-gooder, maybe going back to that, conversation between Grace and Alita. When she was in third grade, she tried to free all the earthworms because she didn't want to see them get dissected. But even that can't get her to talk. But it does cause a conversation between her and Burton in front of Billy Ann. Burton does not want to have this conversation in front of Billy Ann, by the way, about creating some kind of cover story. Billy Ann goes, hey, I know what's going on. She's told me everything. And Burton goes, you know what? I trust you, but I don't trust Jasper. Billy Ann says, hey, if I trust Jasper, then you have to trust him as well. I don't think that's a good idea by the way not at this point anyway but it remains to be seen how jasper ties into this but he definitely will when they get home they tell mama everything she can't really wrap her mind around the time travel part of this but she does give them good advice which i kind of disagree with by the way she's saying if i can see that you have the short end of the stick here in this relationship with these people in the future then how do they see you which i think is a good general warning for them however i disagree with this bt dubs mama If everyone in the future is trying to kill them off, there must be something pretty special about whatever they're going to do or whoever they are in this kind of butterfly effect of chaos theory, these waves that will come, the repercussions of their actions. If they were just one out of 8,000 possible futures, like all those other experiments that they're running concurrently, then who would even care? Why would they even care? Why would they even bother? This is just one stub out of thousands. So whatever they do is gotta be very important. So they do whether they know it or not, have a lot of power here. To that point, Flynn decides to go and have a conversation with Wilf. They hack into the peripheral without permission, but Wilf is actually happy to have her there. Thank you, Flynn, for asking the same question that I had. What is up with this bullshit where you can see into the past and protect me you don't even know that someone tried to assassinate me today? This goes back to my point earlier in this whole recap where I'm saying, how does this stub thing work? Because, like I said, once you make a change, they're in another stub now. So how do you track them? between all these different possible stubs and that's probably why they can't see every possible outcome but of course it's frustrating to her what good is to have a friend in the future if they don't know what happened in the past <laughs> it's a pretty pretty useless and the question remains why didn't you know and that's the question i have too maybe we will have more clarity soon they have a nice scene here where flynn asks were you manipulating me when we did that mind meld earlier
1: i need to ask you something The other day when we went walking, and you linked up with me. Did you have another motive? Were you trying to confuse me? Or my emotions? Did you merge with me so I would start to... I don't know, have feelings for you that you hadn't necessarily earned yet? I'm sorry, Miss Fisher. I honestly... I'm starting to trust you. Is that a mistake?
0: No. No. And I think he's sincere in this regard. I mentioned earlier that there's that car ride between Tommy and Bob. In that car ride, by the way, I forgot to mention that Bob tells Tommy a lot. So he does tell that there's a $10 million hit out on this family. He can have $2 million right now if he lets him go. Things are only going to get worse. Once again, Tommy really should take this information and contact the authorities. If Woody had gone straight to the police, none of this would have happened. I mean, he is the police, right? (laughs) But I mean, there are bigger police than his small town deputy that he is. And once again, isn't one of his partners missing right now? Is anyone looking for him? Or maybe he survived and he was just injured. That's possible too. I don't know. Maybe I should track that down. Maybe I missed it somewhere along the way. And lastly, Flynn, still in her peripheral, goes to visit Newland. Against the advice of Wilf, they fight. And Flynn gets the upper hand. All those gaming skills of hers makes her pretty adept. It turns out Newland is not showing up in person either. She's in a peripheral of her own. She breaks the peripheral's neck, question mark, and heads out. I mean... On the one hand, it's like, wow, you're just antagonizing her. But on the other hand, what does it matter? Because I guess she's going to kill you anyway or try to kill you anyway. It's not like you're going to, she can kill you more than once. (laughs) All right. So where am I with this? I like this. As I mentioned earlier, this is maybe my favorite episode of this show so far. I like that they're introducing some interesting topics. I do hope they will develop them more instead of just raising them and then kind of moving on, which I hate to say it. I'm going to bring it up again, which is kind of what happens in Westworld. And I don't want this to be just ideas and then action and then no follow through on these concepts they raise. I do hope they develop them a little bit more. And I assume, given the fact that this is based on Gibson's novel, they are developed more, or maybe I have to read the book now once this is over to get some of that satisfaction If that's the case, by the way, I'll read the book and then have a follow-up episode where I fill you all in on what additional information or explanation I get from reading the novel. The one criticism I have for this episode is the final scene. Um, Apparently, this is strange, uh, I have a problem with almost every one of these final scenes in the episodes in general. I think that's where I find most of my dislike. And I think that most of the lead-up is pretty good or better. But I feel like they had that scene just to give a little action here at the end but it doesn't make any sense to me like she's going to kill a peripheral what's the point like i'm sure this woman has infinite wealth she'll just gonna jump into another peripheral in five minutes on the other hand it doesn't antagonize her in any way additionally because she's already got a contract out to for everybody on the planet to murder them if they want to so i don't think she's made the situation any worse it can't be any worse in either way it hasn't really escalated things or resolved anything or it just seems like a scene just to have a dramatic beat Another thing that made me laugh out loud, but also is kind of cheesy, was all the way back at the beginning when we see Alita getting questioned by that security guard. This is the woman that eventually will be seduced by the Burton peripheral, and her eye will be extracted and she says, I love your eyes. I'd kill for them. <laughs> it's just very funny that Alita is <laughs> like, making a pun that only she gets. <laughs> she's an audience of one, but she keeps herself very entertained, apparently. I just thought that was very funny. Plus, it's going to happen in the future. So she's planting a pun in the past. <laughs> she's she's quite the chess player. Quite the chess player. Anyway, made me laugh. The thing that keeps me most interested right now is I do hope that this is like the Nolan brothers and Christopher Nolan, maybe even more so, have pulled off in the past I want to see this show now with three episodes to go to move into like fourth dimension, fourth dimensional chess, right? I want to see it like kind of take a step back outside the actions of these folks and to see things almost from like a leader's point of view. What is the grand scheme? What is the stakes of this heist? Because if we think about this as a heist movie, it's always more entertaining to the audience to be let in on what the heist has to be this is what needs to happen this is how they need to pull it off these are the the dominoes that have to fall into place to prevent the jackpot for example and then flynn perhaps afraid for her own safety we start to root against her like being like no flynn you you can't do that thing which seems logical for you to make that decision but you really can't do that thing because it is not going to allow elitist plan To play out and of course Elita's plan is to save the world potentially that's what I think is happening I could be wrong about all of this by the way because it's still kind of vague as to who's the good guy who's the bad guy etc and I do think that with three episodes to go they need to let us in on the broader story because it's way more fun once again to the heist analogy way more fun to know how the plan needs to execute so that we are invested in it playing out correctly or not and based on the scenes for next week it does seem like the plot is accelerating and maybe we get exactly those things I just described so I do hope that is the direction we go in. And I'm very curious to see. Three more episodes to go. I'm more invested now than I was at any time up till now. And we'll check back in next week. Now stay tuned. A conversation about this excellent season of Andor. Which is just two episodes away from conclusion. And we'll definitely be coming back to the finale as well. But catch up on Andor if you haven't already. Episodes are relatively short. You can actually catch up with them pretty quickly. But it has been excellent so far. I'm very much Looking forward to the conclusion of this first season of the show. There will be two seasons. And there will be a warning when we get into spoilers. So listen to as much as you want. Not heavy spoilers, but once again, I think you should go in cold after our opening statements and then come back for the spoiler conversation if you haven't already caught up. All right. Enjoy the conversation. Talk to you soon. To steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong. They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would
1: ever get inside their house. Cassian Adler, the Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real?
0: The last thing I want to talk about is Andor. We will probably circle back to this and have a much longer conversation because the show is ending in two weeks. But I do want to make sure, if anyone hasn't caught up on Andor, definitely check out Andor. It's exactly, if you've heard me cover the other Star Wars shows in this same feed, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, which I really did not like. And I was just so exhausted by the fact that you know you can tell any story about this massive massive unit like the the history of star wars and this rebellion and the rise of the empire and the collapse of the empire and the rise again right Like all these stories so many different characters so many planets you can visit and you make a show like the obi-wan kenobi show which is like about like darth vader and obi-wan kenobi and princess leia and it's like all people that we've seen it's like you can't throw a shoe without hitting somebody from the original star wars trilogy in this universe, and it's just crazy. I'm just like, why can you not think of any new stories to tell? And then comes Andor, which is exactly the show I've been wanting to see for the longest time. It comes from Tony Gilroy and Dan Gilroy, two brothers. Tony Gilroy, by the way, Celia, is most famous for writing the Bourne movies.
1: I love the Bourne movies. They are so much fun. Everything is amazing about those movies.
0: Just to give you a feel for where he's coming from, he wrote the Bourne movies, He wrote Michael Clayton, and more. Most importantly, is that he came in and fixed Rogue One. Most importantly, not for his career, but most importantly from a Star Wars perspective, he fixed Rogue One when it was kind of had been shot and they couldn't put the story together. And he basically came in, wrote a new screenplay. They shot half the movie again, and he reassembled it and kind of like saved their bacon by fixing that film. And they basically said to him, "What would you like to do?" And he's like, "I would like to tell a story about." Like a prequel to Rogue One. And I was worried when I heard that, that this is going to be like, oh man, like we can't, it's bad enough we're making prequels to the original Star Wars movies. And now we're making prequels to Rogue One. Like we we're so out of ideas. But it turns out to be exactly the type of show that I was looking for. He, as you can tell from some of these other scripts he's written in the past, Michael Clayton specifically, and The born Identity. He likes conspiracies. He likes to see how systems fail. Like how, for example, you think about Michael Clayton, how these very, very evil people are doing absolutely terrible things, but they're doing it for like me- menial and stupid reasons. Basically saying that evil is mundane in just people just trying to get by it's like goes back to the you know what we were talking about last week with the good nurse where people are just trying to punch a clock and i don't want to think about what's actually going on around here and he's really fascinated with kind of dissecting the way that these systems fail and the corruption that exists within them and his brother by the way uh dan gilroy who also is a writer on this show who also writes movies but very different movies he wrote nightcrawler for example with uh, jake gyllenhaal really good movie and he's married to Rene Russo, who's also in Nightcrawler, did a great job, by the way, excellent performances for, by both of them. So he makes these kind of modern noirs, basically. So the two of them come together to work on this show. That's the first thing that's interesting. Not the type of people you would think would be making a Star Wars show. Second thing that's interesting, Celia, I don't know if you noticed this, but they're writing them as movies. Did you notice this? Yes. The first three episodes are a single story split into three episodes. The second three episodes are another basically two-hour story split into three episodes. And then there was a standalone episode, which was kind of like a palate cleanser, episode seven. But now the reason I wanted to talk about it this week is that we are just at the end of another three-episode cycle, which, which of course had a very clear begin, beginning, mid, middle, and end. And we're going to spoil and or up until now, in just a few minutes, before we get into spoilers, I just want to say that if you have felt frustrated by the Star Wars shows, that they're not telling new stories, I think this is extraordinary what they're doing here. The performances are great. It's all, almost all shot on locations with, of course, CGIs. You have things flying through the airs. But other than that stuff, it's mostly shot on locations. It looks natural. It feels grounded. It is written incredibly well, written like a serious show, like a real show about politics, about corruption, about the weaknesses that we all experience in our day-to-day lives. It takes these things seriously. And like, for example, We spend almost as much time with the people who work within the empire, and they're not like twirling their mustaches being like, ha-ha, we're going to murder millions of people. We love murdering people. (laughs) They're bureaucrats. They're just trying to do their jobs. They're just trying to catch these criminals in their own minds, and these terrible things are happening in the name of them just doing their day-to-day work and i love the fact that that's what the show is about it's about this bureaucracy of spies and the bureaucracy of the bureaucrats that are like running inside the empire we, we literally have that one guy we see him like his mom nag him every single day while he eats soup <laughs> you
1: know like that's like the extent of his interactions
0: right but it's she like,
1: criticizes like, his like
0: blazer brown suit he had his yeah. collar, he had his collar done though he had the collar. yep <laughs> it, it, he looks too needy Yes. It's terrific. It's unexpected. And it's one of the best shows I've seen this year. And you guys should catch up on it. It has only two more episodes. Perfect time to catch up. And by the way, I think it wraps up the week of Thanksgiving. So hey, if you're going to binge something on that Thanksgiving week, check it out. Anybody can watch it. It's pretty PG. You could probably watch it with your kids as long as they're not very young kids. It's really great stuff. Every day we wait, they get stronger. It might be wise to have a plan. We have a plan! Oh, are you, you? and Bernock and Melchie? You don't have time to be stupid! Come on! Plan works around a new man coming down. They'll replace Olaf tomorrow. That might not happen again until it's too late. I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want.
1: The last three episodes were yeah. my favorite so far. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about this. It is very grounded. So It doesn't feel like Star Wars. I don't know if that will turn some people off. Everything else about it is fantastic. I mean, yes, there are elements of space in here, but you know what I mean? They're not on a grand spaceship out in the middle of nowhere. They're in dirt, When they go to prison, that prison is a nightmare.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is
1: a never ending nightmare. Everything about it, it's too bright. The concept of it is insane. And the way he gets in there, he's like, I'm just a tourist. I'm just a tourist. Like, my assumption, because that happened, is that most of the people in this place aren't even supposed to be in there. They're just have been transported there because things that would have been like a misdemeanor or something that just needed to be a fine paid have turned I mean, I, into 10 6 to 10 years automatically uh, and then they find out they can't even ever get out of there
0: right yeah they it's get a sw- nightmare. They, they get moved from one section to the other yeah so there's a few things that are happening there that are interesting that are being you know obviously explored in the show as well because there's some big ideas here as well The first one, uh, to, to start at the very beginning, it's interesting that when we see Andor for the very first time in Rogue One, the first thing we see him do practically within minutes of meeting him is that he kills somebody to protect the rebels, right? He kills somebody who was an innocent bystander, but he is about to give away the location. So he's doing it for a reason. Interestingly, the first time we see him here in the show, he kills somebody, he kills two people, and he kills them basically just to cover his own ass. So I think that's intentionally done to kind of draw the parallel where he's going to be in the future when he becomes a full freedom uh, fighter. At this point, he is just uh, on a mission to basically find his sister, which he's still not found, <laughs> although he was looking for her at the very beginning of the show. That's basically the sets things off. And to your point, that very first episode, if anything, feels like Blade Runner. It does not feel like Star Wars at all. And it's like very noirish, like just like Blade Runner is kind of like a sci-fi noir. It has the same kind of feel. And even the technology kind of feels like that, like it's it's high tech and dilapidated at the same time. Uh, You know, kind of the fall of the empire, or during the fall of the empire, and uh, so that's beautifully designed. And the arc of those first three episodes is that he meets uh, Stellan Mm Skarsgård. He's just trying to get off the planet. Skarsgård makes him an offer saying, I'll give you even more money. I need you to go on this mission. He basically has no options and he escapes. And that's the arc of the first three episodes. The next three episodes is him on this mission, which they successfully accomplish. But fascinatingly, you really think in that arc of shows, you get to meet all these new people and you're like, and these are his buddies for the next remainder of the show. Nope. Almost everybody dies on that mission except for him and like one other person. So that's not what the story they're telling at all. They're telling you that this is how these things are, right? There's a bunch of spies. No one even knew the mission they were on and most of them die anonymously. It's tragic, but true. And then meanwhile, on the other side, they're getting funded by these rich people who are living in all this decadence. But by the way, the money has to come from somewhere and they're taking risks in and of themselves, right? They have to endanger their own, not only I mean, their lives as well. Their their lives, their their children's lives are all in danger by them of funding this rebel um, alliance. And of course, um, Stellan Skarsgård, as this, whatever he is, a curator of uh, museum pieces or whatever he is for the rich people is actually a broker that kind of raises money through these connections. And there's a senator that we're following as well. And she's one of these people who fund Mm -hmm. the rebels. And like you mentioned, the third uh, arc of this that we've had was... This time when he just happens to be, he's like, hey, I got my money. I'm out. I'm not going to, and or saying, I'm not going to deal with any of this stuff. I'm going to go live my life in luxury, thinking that he could just go to a resort and disappear and you know, never have to deal with the consequences of this. But like you said, there's somebody who's running away from the cops. He happens to be like adjacent to them. And they're like, why, you know, why were you here? What are you doing? Why are you resisting arrest? He's like, I'm just trying to get a drink. They're like saying you're suspicious, you know, and he probably was sweating. He probably was a little worried because, of course, he knows that he actually is a wanted man without any charges or anything. And then, of course, the bureaucracy just starts moving. They're like, tell it to the judge. The judge goes, tell it to the emperor. It's like, you go, whatever, whatever. From one level to the next. Ends up in this work prison. And of course, the end of this arc was them busting out. And uh, yeah, this was absolutely thrilling. But you also see him rising to the challenge that he has been shirking this over and over again. I'm not going to be a rebel, a fighter. I don't believe in this cause. And now he's like saying like, everybody is at risk in this system. And now he's not thinking like, I'm just trying to protect my ass. Now he's like, no, there's like things worth dying for basically. So this is the the way he becomes the rebel fighter that he is in Rogue One. But honestly, I don't even care about Rogue One. I think that this is just, uh, this is like a very realistic portrayal of people who oftentimes don't really believe in what they're doing. They're just doing it because it's convenient for them or someone's just giving them a check to do it. And then they really do become true believers and on the other hand it's the corruption that is all around us because everybody's just kind of looking the other way because they just want to like go to lunch and punch the clock and just i don't want to think about it right now and of course that's what leads like the slip sliding into totalitarianism <laughs> not necessarily i mean luckily luckily you know we just had an election day luckily you know we're not really moving in that direction here but uh you know like you look at what's happening in like the ukraine and in russia for example where those people are protesting in the streets every single day, and then they just disappear and no one hears from them ever again, right? So we, we live in a world where that still happens all the time.
1: I like that this series feels separate yes. from Star Wars. It feels that way, even though it's part of the franchise. That's what I was talking about when I said it doesn't feel like it. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Right? I think this is better than most of those. <laughs> You're probably gonna be annoyed. I like this better than most of the Star Wars. Oh,
0: I honestly was so annoyed with Star Wars that I literally said on this podcast, the last time we covered it, that I was just never going to talk about Star Wars again. Because <laughs> I can't say anything <laughs> positive about Star Wars. So I'm just not gonna talk about it anymore. And now oh, good. So and now here I am <laughs> telling everybody to watch the Star Wars show. So that's that's how good it is. <laughs> that's how good. Yeah. It's it's really good. And it feels separate. So Even if
1: you're not into Star Wars, I'd watch this.
0: Yeah, it's really good. It's excellent. There's one criticism I'd make for this very specific episode that we had. (laughs) While I'm watching this very, very episode that I just watched earlier today, I'm like, I love the fact that this show, without putting its thumb on the scale, this show is talking about Stellan Skarsgård, his character, that he is this guy who is probably doing these things for the right reasons. But he has become as corrupt as those villains, right? As a matter of fact, you see him here like on a parapet with his cape blowing. If anything, he looks like Darth Vader, right? So they're making this direct correlation that he looks like all the like kind of fascist images that we've seen in Star Wars before. And I'm like, wow, I love the fact that they're showing that even behind this force that is going to become the rebellion one day and it's going to fight for good. There's a guy who is basically deep down inside evil and had to become evil to get to this point. And I'm thinking how clever it is that they're exploring this without saying it out loud. And then to their credit, it's very, very well written. And I'm going to excerpt it here in the episode, but he does this like five minute diatribe about like, you know what I gave up? I gave up my life. I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're just like, all the stuff, all the stuff that I thought was like so clever that like they're like, wow, they're really getting into this character without saying it all. They said it all. And what do you sacrifice?
1: Calm. Kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago for which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't like when these things happen because I feel like the audience is smart enough to figure yes, out yes, exactly. the images yes, on exactly. their own. Right. And when something is over explained, I feel like I'm being talked down to. Exactly. And that yeah. you just didn't have the confidence that I would <laughs> exactly. have understood that. Yes. And maybe some people feel opposite to this. Yes. Maybe having it explained is a good thing.
0: Right. To their credit, the dialogue is good, and Stellan Skarsgård's performance is very good.
1: I would say if this was a younger audience watching this, then the explanation would make I sense. I think that's
0: why, though. There probably is a younger Star Wars audience that probably needs a little more handholding. so I think that's probably what it is.
1: So I don't mind that there was an explanation, but I still feel like it was over-explained.
0: So there is a uh, famous uh, writing that Nietzsche did, or Nietzsche, I guess you pronounce it, and the quote he wrote is, he who fights with monsters might take care lest he thereby become a monster. And if you gaze for long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. So like you know, <laughs> what Nietzsche said in two sentences, you took you know, 14 paragraphs to say, but uh, it does give him a very, very meaty scene. And then by having him just like kind of spill the beans that way, you realize that he's just like really... Suffering through this, which makes him more sympathetic. Don't get me wrong, but it makes him a less interesting character, right? Because now I don't, I don't like distrust him anymore, right? Because he's like laid it all out there now. He's more interesting when I don't know where he's standing. Is my point basically? The mystery was better. Yes, I like the mystery.
1: Yeah, I just don't want him to do it again. Like, imagine he has. (laughs) Please
0: do not do yes. Do not. (laughs) Yeah. He he meets with Andor and says the same thing again.
1: (laughs) Imagine, like for example he decides that he needs to redeem himself yeah. and then there's this giant dialogue about i once was bad but now i have found myself i once was blind but now i, now see. I can see
0: now that you've just said <laughs> that i worry that they are setting this up because like now we have two more episodes those two episodes are a new arc. I think they're going to be a little bit longer. And basically, this is the end of this first season. And they're already shooting season two. So there'll be season one, season two, and then it's done. But they're already shooting season two of this. I feel like now they've made him more sympathetic because maybe he is going to do that in the next episode or two, like kind of, he cannot, I hope not. I do not, (laughs) do not do that. Do not do that. hope not. Please don't, don't make him like, you know, like you said, like, he's like I have to redeem myself and like throw himself on top of a grenade or something. I do not want to see that. I want to see him (laughs) pulling strings in the background. Yeah. Maybe little by little becoming, you know, his soul is getting blacker and blacker, but that's what I want to see. I do not want to see him suddenly like have some heroic, Reversal in the, in, the, in the last episode. Please don't do that.
1: And talk about it for a long time <laughs> right. while he's dying. Yeah.
0: You see all the other rebel fighters are like, <laughs> there he goes again.
1: It's great though, this show. And yes. if I was, yeah. it's for all ages, by the way, because we are the age we are. But if I was like 16 years old, I would love
0: this show. I would be
1: Star Wars what?
0: Like- Hit- Here is the saddest part of this. I have been bitching and moaning on this very podcast about, I cannot believe what they've done to the Star Wars franchise, how these shows, all these shows have gotten great ratings. The Star Wars shows think about all the stories you can be telling instead of regurgitating and reprocessing the exact same stories over and over again, same characters, the same Luke story over and over again. Tells a new story so then they finally get it right this show is brilliant i completely agree and the ratings are terrible i mean they're good but they're like terrible compared to the any all the previous ones and people are not watching i know people who are die hard star wars fans who are like eh, like if it doesn't have luke skywalker in it i'm not going to watch it i'm just like what are you talking about like there's so much more story to tell here it's way more interesting to not just tell the same story but it's that nostalgia you're talking about being at a certain age it's the nostalgia man they want to see that same story over and over again. And unfortunately, you know what, I say that, but I don't wanna be cynical about it. I think that over time, maybe not immediately, maybe it's not appointment viewing every single week, but I think over time, people are gonna catch up on Andor and and appreciate it for what it is because it's really, really good.
1: Yeah, and I want Andrew to watch it. I was telling him to binge watch it because he would be so into this and he's 17. So he would be so into the show.
0: But he also likes like Better Call Saul, which has complex characters. And the reason I mention that is because some people watch like the boys, kids who like love the boys are not going to love this show necessarily because it's like, you know, it's not like cartoony. Everybody has like one character motivation. (laughs) You know, it does the same thing every single episode. It's a little more complex than that. But like him specifically, if he has the patience to check out Better Call Saul for six seasons, he can definitely put up with this, which is much less dense than that. Regardless, it is a... It's very good and everybody should watch it. (laughs) Yes, yes. All right. I will wrap it up there. And so for this weekend, you have to watch The English. And we'll talk about that next week. Cool. But then next week also, check this out. 1899 is coming on Netflix, which is a mini series from the people who made Dark. And it's supposed to be really, really good. Another sci-fi thriller taking place on a ship in 1899 that gets lost in some kind of Bermuda Triangle type thing. And everybody starts traveling through time and having different alternate lives and stuff anyway it's supposed to be excellent that's coming this week and also there is a thriller set in the 1800s starring Florence pew florence pew where she goes to investigate a miracle a young girl apparently has not eaten for months and has not died and she's sent by like the vatican or something to investigate and it's supposed to be creepy too and that's coming next week on netflix so lots of good stuff coming for you
1: to watch. Go Netflix. I was giving up on Netflix yeah. for a
0: while. Yeah, th- those are both Netflix coming this week. So great. All right. More to watch. More and more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later.
1: Bye.